Hello everybody, and welcome to Sound of Play. Thank you. 
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. It's another All Request special with me, your host, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 175. How did it come to this? How did we get this far? I remember when we were just thinking about adding another podcast to the Canaan Rinse canon oeuvre whatever we call it. And uh, here we are, 175 podcasts down the line. Started off as uh, every other week. Now it's every Wednesday. Thanks to uh, bringing on board Ryan, who was happy to host every other show and edit. And I want to thank him especially for stepping in to edit this one. While Jay, who normally edits my shows, because I can't be trusted. I literally don't know how to do it. Jay is in Japan and having a great time. He seems to be trying the local cuisine, and I mean all of it. If you follow him on Instagram, Jace at J70, all letters, you will see just how much eating, the eating of the Japanese food he's doing, anything you can think of, Jay is trying it. He's been there several times before, but uh, he's not letting that stop him. Oh, no. Anyway, yes, uh, so I thought what I'd do, uh, we've got to have a fairly quick turnaround on this one. So I thought another all request special would be okay with you guys. Don't think I've forgotten about having more of uh, you folks from the community on. I still have my list. I'm still working through it. It will take time. And obviously, as people add themselves, the list grows. But don't think I've forgotten you. That will still happen at some point, hopefully, if you have a microphone and we can arrange a time and all that kind of thing. A few caveats, but normally we get it done. We've had quite a few folks on and it's been good every time, I think. So plus, of course, I need to intersperse the odd show where we we, we have a, you know, a composer. We get composers on now and again. We had uh, Peter Schlosser recently, who's worked on Destiny 2 and Gears 3, things like that. And every so often, a new exciting composer comes into our orbit and we can snag them and lure them onto the show. And they normally seem to enjoy it as well. That's good. Uh, so the track I opened this, I chose to open this sound of play with is from a game. It's a track I never heard. I'd never heard before today from a game I know nothing about from a series I know nothing about. But I just it was one of those where I just listened to it and I thought that's great. I'm going to open the show with that. It's really nice. And it just so happens that our requester, Ashman86, has given us a fairly lengthy, uh, by sound of play request standards, uh, post explaining why the piece of music, why the series means so much to them. I'm going to assume him, Ashman, but it could be a surname anyway. I won't assume anything else. Uh, the Quest for Glory series of classic Sierra adventure games is one of my all-time favourites despite the fact that the first game launched when I was just three years old. Laurie and Corey Cole, the married couple who led development on the series, combined the adventure game formula Sierra established with the King's Quest series with role-playing game character sheets and classes, and the result was something really magical. Although the Quest for Glory games never really found the same level of success of some of Sierra's other franchises, their unique import-export mechanic, which let you carry one hero, including his stats and spells, through the entirety of the series, is still referenced relatively often. It lent the series a sense of cohesion in the same way that the original Mass Effect trilogy feels unified by its own import-export mechanics. My first and favourite entry in the series was the penultimate one, Quest for Glory 4, Shadows of Darkness. My father bought it for me on a whim from a bargain software bin, and I don't think I'd ever fallen so hard for a game before. 
Tracking down its predecessors afterwards was a challenge because the internet was only barely a thing. But, knowing my love for the games, my parents managed to get a copy of the Quest for Glory anthology ordered to a nearby Hastings, a now-defunct media retail chain, playing those early EGA 16-colour games for the first time remains one of my favourite memories. The piece I want to submit now, that we've already heard, for Sound of Play actually comes from the final game in the series. I've never been more hyped about the launch of a game than I was for Quest for Glory 5 Dragonfire. The series very narrowly avoided cancellation before its story was concluded, and the story goes that Sierra only greenlit the final game in response to a petition created and signed by QFG's very passionate and vocal fanbase. QFG 5's soundtrack was composed by Chance Thomas and, if I remember correctly, performed by the Utah Symphony. A native Utah myself, it placed the game even closer to my heart. I pre-ordered the soundtrack, which launched sometime before the final game and included a playable demo. And one of the first pieces I fell in love with was this. The Mediterranean, guitar-driven cue, accompanies the hero as he explores the sights and sounds of Silmeria, a coastal city inspired by ancient Greece by day. Merchants peddle their wares in the town square and the city's citizens hustle from one location to the next. But as day shifts night, the piano takes centre stage, mysterious and melancholy. It's one of my favourites, and I hope it resonates with the rest of the Sound of Play listeners. I hope it did too. I immediately liked it, and that's why I picked it. And we open the show with that from Chance Thomas. Now, I think most of the rest of the picks, eight more tracks in this show, everyone a cracker in some way or other. We've got the usual uh, spread of years and genres and types of music, types of game that they come from. And... I've got a little something to say about all of them. I think they're nearly all games that I've played or have some experience of. Uh, But let us move straight on to this piece from Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. Dom's Beard says, This piece brings back memories of the horrible tension when the Nemesis is going to pounce any second. It is a feeling I have only had once since during Alien Isolation. So this is the music when you're being stalked by the titular Nemesis Feel the Tension by Masami Ueda and or Sari Maeda from Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, the 1999 game that we talked about back in Kane and Rince 313. At the time of recording this on the 1st of December 2018, we have recorded 11, I think. I'm not sure, actually. Anyway, we've recorded a podcast on almost every mainstream Resident Evil game in the series. We haven't covered all the spin-offs Side stories, guide ends, whatever you want to call them, such as Outbreak, Gun Survivor, Umbrella Chronicles, Gun Survivor. Um, Did I say that already? Anyway, you know all the sorts of things. But we did do Code Veronica because that was, of course, intended to be one of the mainstream games in the series. Whereas Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, which we also covered back in issue 313 of the Kane Rinse podcast, was originally supposed to be a guide end. And it is literally a side story to Resident Evil 2. Wouldn't it be amazing uh, if they released it as a guide end to the forthcoming imminent-ish next year Resident Evil 2 remake game? They could release Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, perhaps using the same assets and engine to an extent, but also completely retell that story of Jill revisiting, or visiting, I should say, Raccoon City at the same time as Leon and Claire's adventure is taking place. That would be so awesome. I would pay... I would pay good premium DLC money for that if they if they pull it all off. There's still no guarantee that 
this Resident Evil 2 remake is going to tick all the boxes. Obviously, it looks like a very different idea, very different notion, very different proposition to Resident Evil 7, which is the one we have left to cover in the series. At the time of recording, that podcast will be out before the end of 2018. Now we have some more PlayStation 1 love. This is a request from Twitter. You can follow us on social media at Rince. This is from jtadkins87, who simply says, throw Final Fantasy VIII some love, please. The request was Nobuo Uematsu's The Man with the Machine Gun, entering into sort of disco electronica territory almost there with Final Fantasy VIII. The reason I included that, as well as it being a worthwhile selection by any measure, from the also 1999 PlayStation 1 game is because we are currently up to Final Fantasy VII. That show is yet to be recorded and released also before the end of Volume 7 in 2018. We will therefore be kind of halfway through our mainstream numbered Final Fantasy series. It's been quite a task doing that. Uh, I think less of a less of an effort in terms of it being yeah an actual... I don't know what the word is, but yeah, like a proper task, a challenge to play through for Leah, who absolutely loves the the genre and the series. Uh, Josh also seems to have taken it all in his stride. I've probably struggled a bit more. I I ended up actually disappointingly missing out on the Cana Rinse on Final Fantasy VI, Uh, but it was for good reasons. It was because we had two, as well as... Uh, Leah and Josh wanting to continue to be on a series. We had both John, who'd provided such fantastic support playing through the early games in the in the series for those podcasts, and he asked to be on the Final Fantasy VI show as, almost as a kind of reward. And who was I to say no? And we'd already invited Maya on, who we like to have on now and again, Maya Santandrea, uh, who's always a uh, good value. So I stepped out 
we don't really we, we don't really do five person shows anymore because they just get too long and too messy. So we try to avoid that. Uh, so yeah, I missed that one. So I still have Final Fantasy VI on my never-ending backlog to play. It's quite high up my priorities list, and I know it is. I think I think the guys loved it, and it, it's a hugely well-loved game. It was the first one I wanted to play as well back in the mid '90s. Uh, but I'm actually currently replaying Seven, which I have played before, and yeah, we'll be up to eight for the start of next year, and that will be Kane and Rince podcast issue 350. Not sure yet. Something in early 2019. Schedule is forthcoming. Keep your eye on canarince.com. recently been re-released on PCs, personal computers for Windows operating system. I think it's only Windows. I don't know. Might be a, You might be able to play it on other things OS-wise. But yes, it's out on Steam. Killer7. So I thought it was high time we heard this request from Xanadu or Rxanadu. Not sure. Excuse me. But Rxanadu says, despite its use in game, this Killer7 track always made me feel like someone was introducing something big to me, like opening a large mansion and seeing the foyer encrusted in gold. 
It just sounds so epic to me. Such a shame, as it's used in-game to more or less close off the game as a whole when you kill the last Heaven Smile, the main enemy faction in the game. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I did hear it when we played through a while ago now, almost half of Kane and Rince's life ago, which seems unbelievable. Back in Kane and Rince 180, we talked all about this cult classic from the Capcom 5 GameCube era. Uh, this is the track Host Personality by Masafami Takada. personality from Masafumi Takada. I think I mispronounced before the track there. I do apologise. Masafumi Takada from Killer7. GameCube originally also came to PS2 very quickly and now available on PC. I have a feeling, is there a Switch version coming? Probably. It's, it's a game that could run on a Switch and everything comes out on Switch. Well, not every, lots of stuff, including lots of stuff you wouldn't necessarily think would port that easily or that well. People are performing wonders with the little tablet doing some stellar conversion work and people are lapping it up seemingly still. Now, this is something quite a bit older and I wanted to uh, acknowledge our famously, I say famously, nothing about us is famous, but anyone who's been following will know that we are a format agnostic organisation. We don't uh, have any format zealotry or favouritism or bias. And as such, back in Sound of Play 154, we had a request for the Amiga, very sample heavy, very, very late 80s, early 90s. Well, specifically late 80s. Amiga theme tune, opening title sort of sequence piece from Blood Money, the DMA design game, who went on to make Grand Theft Auto, of course. But we had a request from Nick Turner 13, who wanted to hear the ST version. It's a completely different tune. Uh, it's more like a chip tune which is where the endless irony that was the ST was the machine that was favoured by musicians due to its MIDI port, whereas the Amiga was actually the one that could produce sampled soundtracks more easily for, for video games. But, of course, we all love chiptunes now, 
And Sound of Play is as much a celebration of vintage game music as it is of modern orchestrated and you know, real music stuff. So chip tunes, it's nice to slip one in here. Nick Turner says, here's a memorable one from the Atari ST. I had a demo on this from a cover of ST format, or maybe ST action, I forget. And although I wasn't much of a fan of the game, this music is memorable to this day. Published by Psygnosis in 1989, the graphical feel of the game is reminiscent of other games of theirs at the time, such as Shadow of the Beast. Slightly weird and creepy, nightmarish style that was quite different to anything else. This track itself is kind of creepy, but with some really nice slow melodies. This is possibly Ray Norrish and or Frederick Sagerfalk with the epic chiptune opening piece, main theme from Blood Money on the ST.
as I say, if you want to hear the very different Amiga version of that, the main theme from Blood Money, with all its uh, yeah cheesy samples and Euro late eighties Euro pop stylings, that was in Sound of Play one five four. Or you could just go and listen to it on the internet. But you know, if you like Sound of Play, check out those back progs, as it were. Now we have a piece from a game we covered back in the early days. Since uh, being released on a number even more formats, this was the probably the best reviewed or one of the best reviewed of the early Oddworld games. I guess Abe's Odyssey and Exodus reviewed very well too, but I remember when Stranger's Wrath came out, it really was a critical darling when it first hit. And as such, it was one of the first games that I really had in my mind when we set up Cane and Rinse that I wanted to finally get around to completing. I'd long held on to my copy of the original Xbox version. But uh, around the time of when we started Kane and Rince back in 2011, the uh, sort of HD remaster, as it were, was on its way or out. So there it was. The opportunity was there. And it's since come as well as uh, already being available on PC, that PS3 and Vita version. It's since come out on iOS, Android and even Ouya. And yes, there's a Switch version in the works, which makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, I remember it was a game that we played it for Kane and Rince issue 21 and uh, it still had uh, it still had some good things about it but it, I don't think it had quite the same impact that it would have done had we played it back in 2005 on the original Xbox. Anyway, the music's cool and Mr. Green TOS requested the track Fighting Outlaws. The request goes as follows. I partially love this track for both the tone it sets for the game's world, but also the composer has some interesting backstory for creating this track. So here is a quote from Michael Bross, the composer. I felt strongly that the music needed live percussion and also live guitar. Oddworld as a company was small and independent. While being independent meant that we were free to take chances on fresh ideas, it also meant that sometimes we didn't have resources that a big publisher, developer like EA or Activision had. In this case, I didn't have any kind of budget that would allow me to hire outside live musicians. I wasn't going to let that stop me and decided if I wasn't going to have access to these musicians, I'd do it myself. While I was an accomplished musician at that time, I didn't know how to play percussion and surely I'd never picked up a guitar. So I began taking percussion lessons and practicing. At the same time, I bought a cheap guitar and began getting familiar with the instrument Fighting Outlaws was probably one of the first tracks I recorded myself playing both percussion and guitar. For the percussion, I ended up creating a simple rhythmic pattern and then overdubbing three to four different hand drums. For the guitar, I mainly stuck to forging a melody, which became the centrepiece of the whole track. I truly believe that obstacles and limitations force creativity. They appear to take away choice, but are really opportunities to think differently about the processes and results, and in that to create new, unique choices and options. Through forcing myself to learn these instruments well enough to play them on recordings, it gave me the power to be self-sufficient and to create and iterate on a piece of music quicker and more effectively. So let's hear Fighting Outlaws, Michael Bross's testament to necessity being the mother of invention. Thank you. 
Stranger's Wrath, the Oddworld Inhabitants game, was actually released by EA. So it's interesting there that Michael Ross was talking about Oddworld like they were still an independent studio. And I think it was maybe yeah more of a distribution deal with EA. Now we have a piece that is from a game I have played, never fell in love with, never completed. It's a game that I suspect we will cover someday on Cane and Rinse when we do the inevitable series. Rob25x says, here's a great track from one of my favourite games, Hot Shelter 1 from Sonic Adventure. There are many great tracks to be heard in the original Sonic Adventure or Sonic Adventure DX, and this is just one of them. So yeah, this is where Sonic started to go all kind of rock, or at least more obviously and audibly so, from the 1998 Dreamcast game, later ported to lots of other things, Sonic Adventure.
Hot Shelter One, composed by... Not sure who the guitar kind of lead was on the Sonic Adventure tracks, but uh, the composers credited on the game are Jun Sunui, Fumie Kumatani, uh, Kenichi Tokoi and Masaru Setsumaru. It'll be interesting to do the Sonic series. We don't get requested that often. It's odd compared to a lot of things, but it's an obvious one for us to do. We've done the mainline Mario games, although there's still more Mario to do because we haven't done Mario Land. We haven't done the Wario spin-off games or the other various other odd Wario games that exist. There's a few other bits and bobs out there and umpteen other series we've never touched, but we do have some early Sonic fans. There's also the whole matter of doing the early games on both Mega Drive and Master System because they're separate games, both with their own set of merits, I think. There's, of course, yeah, Adventure and Adventure 2, where the game, where the series transitioned into 3D. Of course, we'd already had those uh, Sonic 3D type games with Traveller's Tales. Then we've got those very difficult years on the, the, uh, the, the PS2 and 360 kind of, yeah, basically the 2000s, <laughs> where it all goes horribly pear-shaped for the most part. Uh, then they tried to kind of dial things back down with Sonic 4, Episodes 1 and 2, which was by Dimps, the people who'd done the Sonic Adventure games on the GBA. Not Sonic Adventure, Sonic Advance, of course. Uh, so those would be interesting to cover as well. But then Sonic 4 wasn't terribly well received. But then that brought us up to... Well, another few years down the line, we had obviously we had Sonic Generations, which is another interesting one to cover where they kind of looked at the past, but also dabbled with some of the innovations that had come along. And then, yeah, which brings us up to Sonic Mania, which by the time we do this series and by the time we get that far, will be a retro game in itself. But Sonic Mania almost universally loved, apart from by those people who never liked 16-bit Sonic in the first place. But yeah, obviously it would make perfect sense for us to, to cover that series at some point, but also it would mean to do it the Kane and Rince way, to do it properly, as we did with things like Silent Hill and Final Fantasy and Resident Evil. It means playing the ones that perhaps we wouldn't be so over the moon about having to actually play and get through, but it's important that you do, I think, to get the whole, the whole picture. So Sonic 06, some point. I'm not confirming this for next year at all, by the way, but someday. Another series we've touched upon but haven't covered in great depth and detail, because again, there's loads of them and it would be an enormous effort and production number to, to get it done, although it would be no doubt very rewarding. Josh has been playing Aria of Sorrow recently, Castlevania series. This is a piece requested by Dusk vs. Tweak, and this is from probably one of the more Less well-known games, although I bet actually it probably sold quite well. But uh, Castlevania Lament of Innocence on the PS2, uh, again, where the series was flirting. Well, not really flirting, in some ways flirting with going 3D after being a resolutely two-dimensional series from its inception in the mid-80s. Uh, but yes, Dux vs. Tweak says, I'm not sure how Castlevania Lament of Innocence stands in the public consciousness these days, but it was a quick highlight of an action game for me back on the PS2, and this track was a standout. This was right before I could find every piece of music on the internet, so this may have been the last time I repeatedly went back to a level in order to hear that stage's music. The orchestral parts of this track are great, but it's when the, that watery synthesizer comes in at the chorus that this piece truly shines. This is House of Sacred Remains by Michiru Yamane.
2003's PS2 Castlevania, Lament of Innocence. That was the, uh, yes, seven full minutes there. And uh, I like the way that goes through lots of the different moods of Castlevania. There's a suggestion that it's a a more modern piece. Uh, There's some sounds in there that reminded me of contemporary uh, Final Fantasy pieces as well. But also you get that classic kind of church organ, gothic choral sound as well. So yeah, a bit of everything in there. Thank you for that request. Dusk versus Tweak. Eric, I believe. Forgive me if I'm wrong. As I say, we haven't covered Castlevania series in depth. We did do a show on Symphony of the Night, which also touches upon some of the other 2D games. And similarly, when we covered Mercury Steam's Lords of Shadow in Kana Rintz issue 155, we also had a little whistle-stop tour of some of the 3D polygonal, at least, games in the Castlevania series, including those couple of N64 games. It's not been so much in recent times since Lords of Shadow 2. But uh, yeah, a little whistle-stop tour with some people who knew those games, including uh, Andy Hamilton. So yeah, worth checking that one out. Uh, Also remember, please do venture over to the forum, canerince.com. Everything's there, everything that we do. You can link through to everything. We're not just podcasts. We have a website. We have social media uh, presence. We have a YouTube channel, which is a bit dusty at the moment, but we're looking to do some more with that next year. Follow us on Twitter to find out what is going on and everything that we release. This podcast, Cana Rinse podcast, and our Sausage Factory podcast on a Friday with Chris, where we talk to developers, where Chris, is, Chris specifically talks to developers. Follow us at Cana Rinse. Use the hashtag sound of play if you want to make a request, or you can just do it on the Facebook page. We'll continue to include a selection of your picks in the playlist for regular Sound of Play podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Even better, if you can leave us a review or a rating, we still don't have nearly enough of Sound of Play. It really does help. It's not just ego stroking. It does actually affect the algorithms, on, particularly on Apple Podcasts. So even just two or three new reviews on a show give us a huge bump up the charts. Uh, it really is that simple and that effective. So if you do enjoy the show, it really is worth reviewing us, rating us or telling your friends whenever and wherever you can. As I say, listen to our other podcast. Cana Rinse comes out on Mondays. I've mentioned that quite a bit in this show, and I may again. The Sausage Factory is out on Fridays. Uh, and if you enjoy this show and appreciate the time and effort that goes into it and everything that we produce, we do have a Patreon. We've recently passed a significant milestone of $1,000 a month as the headline figure. That's not the amount we get. Plus, it gets converted into pounds. And most of us are volunteers. There are a lot of us. So it, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful amount of money, but we still want more to get where we want to be, really, with Cana Rinse. So yeah, patreon.com slash Cana Rinse, even just a dollar a month, which is around 77p, you can do it from wherever you are, uh, is incredibly gratefully received, as I say. And thank you to our community contributors. Keep them coming. Requests over at the forum, please, in the Sound of Play folder. And thank you again to Ryan for editing this one. Finally then, Bloody Initiate requests a track, a natural closer from Portal 2. Bloody Initiate says, after playing Portal 2, I'd largely forgotten about this song, but Cana Rinse's Portal 2 podcast reminded me about it and attached a significance to it, which I'd never assigned myself. I played through Portal 2 with my best friend, and when he and I play a game, we tend to skip over a lot of story in order to keep playing. We're sometimes too ruthless with our skipping for certain kinds of games, not even letting a scene fully begin before we skip it. We were honestly a bit annoyed with Portal 2 for having so much downtime and story. Perhaps if I'd gone solo, I would have had a greater appreciation. But thankfully, a podcast discussion filled in the gaps for me. I find this song genuinely emotional now. 
Well, thank you. That's very kind words about the podcast as well. So yes, this is Mike Moraski's Cara Mia Adio from 2011's Portal 2. We covered that on Kane Rint's podcast back in 130, as Bloody Initiate mentions. We also covered the previous game a little while before that. Do check those out. I'll leave you with it. Cara Mia Adio. And we'll see you next time on Sound of Play.